You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Final hour on this Thursday, and I get the honor of talking to Jerry West coming up. Just turned 82. Why does he look better at 82 than I do at 64? That's not fair. And it still feels like he can hit a jumper. We'll talk to Jerry. He'll join us uh, coming up. Why the obsession with Mike Tyson suddenly? Like, what happened where all of a sudden we want to see Mike Tyson, he's going to fight Tyson Fury, maybe bare knuckles, maybe MMA, wrestling. That's what happens when you have downtime. All of a sudden, Mike Tyson is getting back in the ring and we see his workouts. Now Vander Holyfield says, hey, I'd fight him. All right. But I was just surprised that this... Mike Tyson's in his early 50s here. He still looks good, but do I want to see Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, Tyson Holyfield 3? Not really. I didn't want to see Floyd Mayweather going against Conor McGregor, but they want to try to do that again. I didn't want to see Manny Pacquiao go against Floyd Mayweather again, but they were talking about doing that. God, I hope we are. I don't like sequels. Now, occasionally when it comes to boxing, you'll have a sequel, you'll have a rematch, and it works out. Ali Frazier was wonderful. Doesn't always work out, but, you know, you had that time period where, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvin Hagler, Tommy Hearns, you know, they were fighting each other a couple of times, and they were great fighters. But when it comes to Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, and you want to see him back in the ring again... Nah, I'm not that desperate yet for sports, live sports. You, know, you want to have Tyson in the wrestling ring? Okay, I'm okay with that. MMA? I don't know how good Mike would be with MMA. Yes, Todd? Would they embrace a whole bite night promotion and kind of play it up the whole uh, third fight? I think that might be interesting. Thank you, Todd. You probably, that probably hasn't been used ever before. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Yes, Paul? You know, I, I don't think that the uh, Tyson-Holyfield fight thing is that crazy right now because of what the, the landscape. Oh, it's not crazy, but that's my problem with what's going on right now. Yeah, is it's I, not crazy. But I think they have about a month and a half left to get this fight off. Like the Tiger Phil golf thing, it got six million people because... There wasn't a lot on. It was really well made. But for they're TV. still relevant. Yes. And then you put if you don't have Brady and Peyton in there, because when Tiger and Phil first played the first match, it wasn't exciting. But Brady and Peyton made it really interesting here. I'd like to say that I wouldn't pay for Holyfield versus Tyson, but I might be lying to you right now. It depends on what the undercard was. If you had an interesting, legitimate undercard, then maybe. No. If, I, I might be interested in that. But if you say, hey, would you shell out $100 to see Tyson fight Holyfield? And people probably would. But if you said, all right, 50 bucks to watch Tyson and Holyfield, as long as it doesn't start at midnight Eastern, then yeah. They're too old. They got to start at like 4.45 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> you imagine it gets to be like 9.30 and Mike's nodding off. <laughs> Just so tired. Got a big, it's like an early bird <laughs> special pay-per-view. Got a big day ahead of me. Got a big day ahead of me tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, I saw this from Mark Stein. He's a great NBA writer for the New York Times. His prediction on the Stein line, at the Stein line, NBA invites 20 teams to Orlando. 30 is too many to host comfortably. 24 too arbitrary. Some non-playoff teams, and uh, they would want to play. Some don't. 16 is the fairest of all. 30 can't be invited. So 20 is the easiest compromise. Top eight in each conference uh, in the West. 
it would be 9 through 12, so that would give you your 20 teams. Mark Stein does go on to say, one related matter of interest for record book nerds, in quotations uh, like me, uh, parentheses I should say to be exact, who obsess about such things, if San Antonio is invited to Orlando as team number 20, will that count as a playoff berth number 23 in a row? You're right, Mark. You lost me here because there's way too many things to worry about than uh, does that officially count as a playoff berth for the San Antonio Spurs? I couldn't care less. Sure, let him celebrate. 23 in a row. This is new times, new rules, and uh, put an asterisk by it. Doesn't it feel it feels like we're, we're handing out asterisk? Just put an asterisk by it. The year of the asterisk. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago that, uh, you know, with what's going on with quarantine and when we have games, can you get fans to come out? But what about the college football atmosphere? Because let's say your football team is playing in the stadium. You can't go in, but you're going to be outside. You're as close as you can possibly be. Now, can police cordon off the parking lot and not any, allow anybody to go in? Are they just going to go somewhere else close to? Maybe you're a half mile away from the stadium, but you're sort of tailgating here. And can you get people to come in, allow them to come in, and can there be social distancing here? Will Leach wrote an article for uh, New York Magazine on this topic, and he talked about the mayor of Athens, Georgia, Kelly Gertz. Georgia hosts... 90,000 fans. So six times a year, they fill the stadium with 90,000 fans. SEC football, upwards of 30,000 people will go to Athens, Georgia from across the state without any intention of attending the game. You have 90,000 inside. You may have 30,000 who are coming in and they're not going to go to the game. They're just going to tailgate. If you have a high profile opponent, as Will Leach mentions, like Notre Dame, you're getting a big number here. The contact tracing nightmare and one that local officials are almost powerless to withstand, the mayor of Athens, Georgia, says that the job would be a lot easier if nobody was allowed into the stadium, letting 20,000 fans in the stands, which would uh, still be only 20% of capacity, quote, is basically waving a flag that says, come on down. But because Georgia is a state university, it does not have to adhere to any local statutes that might differ from the state. And the university's current plan anticipates a full football season and, quote, relatively normal conditions. That means you're going to have fans in the stands. I don't know if you're going to get maybe 20,000 that will be allowed in. Are you going to allow fans to tailgate? Can you stop them from tailgating? And I think that this is, it's a question. I don't want to say it's a concern, but we know what concerns are now. We have real concerns, not, hey, can I tailgate or not? Boy, that's a real concern. It's a question that I have, and I don't know if college football is ready to answer that just yet. And maybe they shouldn't answer it because we have a little bit of time here before you let 15, 20, 25,000 into a stadium, uh, you know, safe distancing. But there are going to be people who show up to tailgate. If you let fans in, there'll be people who show up to tailgate. Even if you don't let fans in, there will be fans who will show up to tailgate. Uh, Greg in Illinois joining us. Hey, Greg, what do you have for me? Hey, Dan, how you doing? Good, sir. 
Good, good. Hey, actually, uh, Will Leach and I are from the same hometown in Illinois. That's where my dad uh, resides. He's currently alive and well, by the way. Um, anyway, uh, I was wondering where your favorite place is to tailgate or watch a college football game. By the way, thank you, Greg. Greg with a shot saying his dad was still alive is a shot at myself and Paulie and Fritzy. Well show, done, Greg. Show off. Yeah, well done. And because of that, I'm not going to answer your question. Made fun of my dad being dead. Uh, Doug in North Carolina. Hi, Doug. Uh, first off, Dan, thank you for what you guys have done for the last couple of months. You've kept me from being absolutely lonely and going insane. So I hope you guys sincerely a heartfelt thank you for uh, what you add to my day every day. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask, I think this is a brilliant question. I haven't heard anyone talk about this, but when you have a players association negotiating with a league, even if it gets ugly like it's getting in baseball, at the end of the day, when there's an agreement, there's no liability worry for the league. College football, college sports in general, does not have a players association. So my question is, and I'm not a lawyer, I know you're not, is are they going to have to have a waiver from every single player before they can come back and, and play the games? Probably so. I mean, I, I don't know legal details here. But, you know, if you're a parent and your son is going to be playing football in the fall, what safeguards are there? What measures are put in place? And you don't have a union. You know, these players, we just assume, hey, you're getting a free scholarship here. Come on in. You're going to play. And that's why when we had Chip Kelly on a couple of weeks ago, I said to Chip, how much of a voice do your players have? And he said, they have a large voice here. And they should. They're the ones taking the risk. Coming back. Gary in Iowa joins us. Hi, Gary. What do you have for me? Morning, Dan. I just wanted to give you a call and let you know that I almost want to skip work anymore because you're not on my TV anymore. I don't know how I upgrade my service. But anyway, I'm watching a movie on Netflix called uh, Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler. Yep. And wow, that does change a man's perspective on that. And I'm looking forward. I'm, I'm looking for you in every movie, and I haven't seen you in this one yet. Well, that wasn't produced by Sandler, but, but uh, thank you. Uh, that was the Safdie brothers who did that. So uh, Sandman didn't bring me in. But he is working on a movie in conjunction with LeBron James's production company. And it's about a basketball player in Europe. And uh, but I've helped Sandler a little bit in, in uh, consulting. I don't know if I have a role in that. But, uh, you know, we have discussed that. But he is working with LeBron James's people for this project and uh, still waiting for my script. But I, I, Uncut Gems, it's on Netflix now. Watch it. You know I love Sandman, but I wouldn't steer you wrong. He's great in this movie. And you can see why I thought that he deserved an Oscar nomination. I thought he was really, really well done. Uh, the movie was well done, and, and he was great. Yes, McLevin. I, I can think of four guys who could play European basketball extras, mm, if need be. Uh, I think you could, McLovin. I don't think anybody else could. How about like... Uh ball boy or something could do that <laughs> could do that could do that mm. yeah i don't know i think the days of you getting in sandler movies might be over sure feels that yeah way. feels felt like that about six years ago well yeah. he, he doesn't bring it up as much as he used to you know remember we say hey, danny i'll get the danettes in it and then i'd go because i said look it's hard for me to leave the show to go shoot a movie it's great if the danettes are in it and then he put you guys in a couple of them. And uh, I, th I think the window's closing. Yeah, McLovin. Was it our performance in, mm. when we were walking across the parking lot in that one that uh, B. 
Because I thought I walked really unnaturally. I, I was worried about that. Yeah, you. it's weird. If I say, hey, you're going to walk on camera, McLovin, you, you can't walk on, you don't walk naturally. Nope. Yeah, Paul. It is weird to be, have someone tell you to walk in, in, in a controlled fashion. Like, the director, Robert Smigel, goes, just walk next to each other like you're walking into a, ba- a, football, a baseball game. And we all try to keep in line with each other, which you would not do if you're walking with four bros. Yeah. Yeah. You would just walk and, and chit-chat, not notice what's around you. But you also couldn't talk, so it looked like we were marching. Well, the worst thing is is when they say, just act naturally. You don't know what natural is. They just act naturally. Okay. What is natural about this setting that I'm in? But I still go back to the uh, prison scene. Oh, boy. We nailed it. Todd almost got kicked out of that scene, which is really hard to do when Sandler says you're in the scene and you guys were the news cameras that were following me around. It was such a surreal experience that we were all there. And what should have been the first thing on my mind was the last thing on my mind to look like I was actually shooting something with a fake camera. Instead, I was pointing at the wall and just watching a movie scene that we had no business being a part of happening before my eyes. Todd is supposed to be giving the impression that he's shooting this scene with me interviewing Adam Sandler and his son, Andy Samberg. And Todd, so <laughs> Todd puts the camera to the side and is watching the scene. And that's the only way you could get yelled at is just put the camera up and Todd puts the camera down and he's watching the scene as if, you know, he's a member of the audience. Such yeah. a simple thing to do. I became a spectator. I forgot <laughs> I was supposed to be actually in the seat. Yeah, Paul. And it stands out because Seton was also camera and Seton's all crouched down. And I don't know the same Seton's ever held a camera in a professional fashion, but he's got the eye thing. He's <laughs> it's not that down. difficult to look like right. you're the and, filming is what's hard, not holding the camera looking like you're filming. And Todd's got the camera at a 90 degree angle away from the action and just going, oh, that's cool. There's Susan Sarandon. Couldn't have made less sense the, what I was doing with the camera there. God. Yeah, Seton. I was going to say uh, to be fair to Todd as the other cameraman on that shoot there wasn't I just kind of assumed we were supposed to be pointing that way but it was never really said like oh hey so you're filming these people I just kind of assumed it He's always got my I, got, I got lucky I, I got lucky uh, and I was so happy oh. that I wasn't when the producer had said no nah, boys it's fine if you see me that means it's terrible yeah. <laughs> that means it's really bad and we did one take and he came storming out of the door what are you doing you're yeah ter- there's no bedside manner I there. believe like- the words were Todd you're terrible yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and so now I feel now I'm even more nervous because I'm not, I have to have my lines and I'm there with Susan Sarandon. I've got Sandler and Andy Samberg and I got to get my lines right. Now I'm worried that Todd can't hold a camera. That's a fake camera to give the appearance. He's filming the scene. Not to mention you went out of your way to get us all into a, a scene in the movie. And I'm like totally ruining it for you. So it looks bad for Sandler and the gang that he allowed that to happen. Yeah. It's just bad in every possible direction. Yeah. What are you doing? Why are you facing the wall? Oh, and and of course, Susan Sarandon has no idea who we are. None. And she she sees Adam Sandler's partner, Jack Caraputo, run out and go, what are you doing? (laughs) And then starts yelling at Todd. And I go, oh, my God, this is going to be really bad. All you have to do is hold a camera, Todd, and give the appearance you're shooting. Seems simple enough. Yep.
And you're like, hey, they're shooting a scene over here. Let me put down my camera and look over. <laughs> Always got to complicate everything. All right, uh, more phone calls coming up. And Jerry West will join us in the On Deck Circle. Just uh, celebrated his 82nd birthday. 17 after the hour, this is The Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to The Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for The Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Dan Patrick Show brought to you by Mercedes-AMG. Be prepared for whatever comes your way. It's the all-new GT four-door coupe. Life is a race. Visit your local dealership for a test drive today. If you missed any of our celebrity interviews this week from the Mercedes-AMG Man Cave, go to the Dan Patrick Show app where you can watch and listen from inside the Mercedes-AMG Man Cave, Mercedes-AMG driving performance. He's the Hall of Famer, Clippers consultant, of course, former Laker GM and player Jerry West joining us on the program. Jerry, is that a real background there? I'm sorry? Is that a real background? Is that you got palm trees behind you? Yes, I actually uh, been in Palm Springs for about two and a half months, and it's getting a little hot down here. So <laughs> it's about he- ready to head back to Los Angeles here very soon. Uh, happy birthday, by the way. Is is the best gift to not bring up that it's your birthday? <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, I guess I've been fortunate to be around for 82 years, and also it's my anniversary. So uh, I thought it would be best to uh, get married on my birthday so I'd never forget it. But I did forget it one time. Wow, that for size. What happened? Um, just in the middle of a season. And uh, sometimes when you get there, you just – birthdays were never, never important when I uh, when I grew up. And uh, I guess it was just a minor thing. And uh, more importantly, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was just something that wasn't important. And uh, I, I guess as you go along today and been involved, and obviously a few people know me, uh, I've gotten a lot of – notes and everything and it's really nice to hear from people um at this point in your life and this is your 40th wedding anniversary so 40 years ago how many nba players showed up for your wedding i don't know if any did 40 actually it's 42 dan oh 42 years ago right okay so you didn't have teammates who showed up for your wedding oh no no this was uh this was well after my career and uh i mean the playing days and it wasn't a huge wedding anyway, but uh, anyway, a um, lot of a lot of crazy things I've seen in my life in, in my 82 years of time, that's for sure. <laughs> well, happy birthday. Uh, how how many uh, conversations have you had with uh, Clippers players or Doc Rivers or anybody, Steve Ballmer, with the uh, possibility of when we come back? Actually, a, a number, Dan. We, we uh, uh, are, like all teams, I'm sure, we've had a lot of uh, – uh, uh, stuff like this going on. We have try to have a, a guest uh, each week that uh, provides some insight on some of the things they've done as athletes, uh, very successful people, and issues that they've gone through in their lives, and uh, and really talking about how do how do you keep yourself motivated during this period of time when there's so much uncertainty around. But at the end of the day. Uh, I think these conversations have helped because they keep people aligned. And I think more importantly, uh, here's some people who have had enormous success in their respective fields in their lives. Yeah, we're trying to figure this out. And then I don't know what safeguards are put in place. And can we put everybody in Orlando? And how many teams do we take playoff wise? Do you have suggestions on that of 
do we make it 20 because there's four teams that are closer in the West for that final playoff spot? Well, Dan, I think, first of all, uh, to me, uh, and I've said this before, and I don't know what they'll do, but I think they need to have at least uh, – teams should play at least 72 games, okay, because it's only 12 less in the regular season. And also it gives a team that are on the bubble and trying to make the playoff, it'll give them a chance to uh, get in there and compete at a high level uh, to try to get into the playoffs. And then I'm not sure how the playoff format would work or not. Would they expand a little bit more? Uh, I think the most awkward thing and the questions we ask all of these really fun people that we've that we've uh, been involved with, great players in a lot of respective fields, what their advice might be. And, you know, the one thing I think most people don't realize when you're trying to uh, stimulate your players and keep them involved with, with their friends and also their teammates is communication. And the league is communicating as much as they can. There's a lot of things they have to take in consideration here. But uh, this is obviously, Dan, an awkward time in trying to uh, figure out what the dynamics are going to be. People are talking about playing in a bubble with both with both uh, with no fans. I'm not sure how they could do it in one place. Uh, to me, it would be better to let the teams in the West say play in Las Vegas, where there's facilities there, plenty of hotel rooms. And in Orlando, uh, uh, keep the teams in the East. Uh, that would make it a little bit easier, I think. Also, to satisfy the contents of um, our relationship with ESPN, our relationship with TNT, and all our providers uh, who are broadcasting the games were people who are, frankly, starving for competition. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought that they were going to do, you know, like a satellite uh, city and have it in Las Vegas and have the West Coast teams play there and then have the East Coast teams play in Orlando. The question would be then, where do you play the NBA championship? I guess you could have one team go to Orlando or Vegas. What about the possibility that you could have a Lakers Clippers NBA finals if we're just going to seed it one through 16 and not have the East Coast West Coast, Jerry? Well, well, for me, Dan, that, that would be the ultimate competition. Now, I think in Los Angeles, you know, they have so many Laker fans. My goodness, uh, the enormous success that the Lakers have had over the years. Uh, they have a really good team now. Um, you know, two of the best players we've seen in a long time on one team. Um, I think it would be incredible for the team, the people in the West. I'm not sure how that would go over for – uh, for the teams back east who want to see their respective teams get an opportunity to play. But uh, that would be a, a situation where I think it would be unbelievably competitive. It would be compelling that I don't know how many teams in the same city have competed for a championship in any sport, uh, much less the, the NBA. Uh, but it's a it would make a compelling story, but uh, – in all likelihood, I think you're going to see uh, things that are um, that'll be a little bit more, more normal without offending any of the teams. We have a lot of teams in this league, and it's not about one or two teams. Uh, a league is comprised of, of all of the teams, all the players, and what you want, more importantly, what you want, you want competition a bit against the best teams. We're talking to Jerry West, the Hall of Famer, Clippers consultant. Did you see The Last Dance, the Bulls documentary? 
You know, I did. Uh, I, you know, a lot of that stuff, Dan, I knew about. Uh, you know, I knew some of the partners. I mean, a lot of the players, obviously, because I was very, really involved then. And also knew Jerry Krause. And, I'm, uh, you know, I've known the Reinsdorf for years and uh, I've always really liked Jerry. Um, and uh, Jerry Krause at one time had worked uh, with us. And, uh, you know, his... Uh, uh, th there's some people that have been hurt in this documentary. I don't think there's any question. And there's probably some hard feelings, but um, it was pretty raw at times. Uh, the language, if you listen to it, was yeah. uh, was offensive for some people. But that's really the way the players talk to each other in the locker room. Not so, it, it's become much more prevalent, by the way. It wasn't like that when I played. And um, it, uh, it was because people, you know, Michael – I love Michael Jordan. Okay, he's one of my best uh, best buddies in terms of never changing. He does not change. Okay, he's a fun-loving guy. He's compassionate, and I think you can see the really competitive part come out of him. But he also, I, I think, some of that stuff gets, you know, when you see the real raw part of it. A lot of it was kidding and everything because he does like the kid. And I'm not trying to defend him from people who look at him as anything other than uh, uh, this iconic player. Uh, but there's, you know, Scottie Pippen, uh, to me, was damaged in this because uh, they made a point uh, to uh, talk about a couple things in his career that certainly weren't what you'd like to see. Um, and I, I know Scotty, uh, uh, I'm sure he feels horrible about it. Uh, then Jerry Krause, uh, who just an, a nice guy um, and who had done a very good job in Chicago, beca become almost uh, uh, a pinata, for Christ's sake. They yeah. Hit him, throw things at him, uh, derogatory remarks. And when you have success, success players are the ones who bring the ultimate success. But someone has got to put those uh, pieces together. And I also th thought it was uh, 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 with Phil Jackson there as a coach. I'm not so sure any coach could have handled that situation except him. Uh, you know, Dennis leaving uh, someone I, re I do really like Dennis myself. Um, him leaving, uh, <laughs> going to a WWF wrestling thing, body <laughs> slamming someone, uh, then going back and playing games. Yeah. Um I'm not so sure any coach could handle that except Phil. When I watch the Jordan documentary, it, it just brought back what Kobe, like Kobe never shied away from being the next Michael. He wanted to be better than Michael Jordan. Mannerisms, the way he talked, the way he played, similar size there. Did you ever talk to Kobe about, you know, that, or did you know that he wanted to be Michael Jordan? Well, uh, Dan, almost everything he did, uh, you could watch him in practice and you say, oh, my gosh, I've seen Michael do this. I've seen Michael do that. But I really think the crowning moment to that, the real crowning moment, and when Michael first jumped up on the bench, the benches where they, the staff are, the writers are, right courtside there, he jumped up and started this very exuberant uh, celebration. Yeah. Who did that? Kobe Bryant, exactly the very same thing. And I think he admired him so much. Uh, 
uh, he admired how he played and also the enormous success he had both as a, a as a team but also as an individual and you're talking about players that are obviously wired differently uh, you hear some of the incredible players that play the game today in all sports and just see how they're really different they are in their pursuit of excellence and certainly his pursuit of excellence was well, just like Michael's. Yeah, because guys wanted to sort of shy away from, hey, Grant Hill's the next Michael Jordan. Tracy McGrady's the next Michael Jordan. And for any heart, Kobe was the only one to say, bring it on. Like, I want that. And I, I always admire, he never shied away from that. And I mean, that it's pretty incredible that he didn't shy away from that possible comparison or that title. No, well, Dan, if you knew him at an early age, that's who he was. Uh, he was so committed and so, um, uh, so driven. You know, he would go play basketball any place against anyone. And uh, uh, every year, uh, every practice, you're going to see something different out, him, uh, out of him. And for a while, it, it was a problem because it's not an individual game. Individuals win can win game for you and big games. Uh, a lot of a lot of players don't want the pressure. Uh, the really good ones bring it on, and that's who he became when he learned how to, the nuances of the game uh, to tone his game down a little bit, so he, so you could have a team instead of an individual. But late in the game and times when you needed a basket, he was going to get it for you, just as Michael Jordan did. But his infatuation with him uh, was far greater than most people know. I think. Michael talked about it in the documentary uh, some, uh, how they communicated. Um, and I think it to uh, shows you that there are certain people in this world that are leaders, and there are certain people that have the same kind of desire to reach that status. And it's a learning process. You just don't pick it up immediately. It, it takes time. Uh, also, it takes success and a belief that people – uh, that you're playing with and uh, the success that you have, the people are going to follow that. But only a few people can follow it. You, you can be the greatest competitor in the world, uh, and you can be the greatest trainer. And you, you hear this uh, Kobe mentality, the mentality of, of, uh, of Michael. There's tons of players out there that have that same mentality, Dan, but they don't have the ability to be able to go out and, uh, and dominate a game. You know, they can have great games, but they can't dominate games and they can't dominate at season like certain players do. Did you keep any of your jerseys? Do you got stuff? Member you don't strike me as a guy who's going to keep memories or memorabilia, but I'm just curious. No. <laughs> and I look around you and I have no idea where that stuff you get. <laughs> Come to I'm looking on the screen here right now. And, uh, I guess if anyone sent you anything that would have any significance, you'd have it out there. <laughs> but oh, yeah. I've never been a collector, Dan, of anything and nothing. Uh, you know, I just say if you would come in my house, you would not see maybe one or two things that might remind you that I was a player in yesteryear. And um, I've always been that way. Uh, to me, it was about, you know, you played, you played for the city, uh, you played for the organization. And you played to have success. And all of those things for me uh, were, were what drove me in my career. 
And, you know, I look back and, you know, watch these guys today with all – and Kobe and Michael, obviously. And Michael, I think, first started in his desire to get fitter, stronger, uh, and be able to, to compete against the Pistons who, who were notoriously uh, um, physical. And uh, at that point in time, I think their presence in the league probably helped change the league because – some of the fouls that they committed were very <laughs> hard. But this had gone on for years. And because of Detroit's success, certainly uh, um, they didn't care who it was. Your fanny was going to be in their ground if you're in the air going for a layup. But uh, they helped change the rules, to be honest with you. But uh, Michael, Michael started this. Uh, you could see the difference in him uh, in a couple of years, just how – um, just how big, how much bigger he got, leaner looking. And I don't think I've ever seen an athlete like him that has ever been that explosive. And the quickness and his ability to run. Uh, I read somewhere uh, that M- Michael said he like he ran like a four, 340. Yeah. And he wasn't even pushing it. <laughs> and I'm saying to myself, how can you have that kind of uh, – uh, running ability and the enormous quick leaping ability he had. I don't know what his vertical was, but it was ridiculous. But the skill involved just put him in another class. Yeah, not fair. Uh, happy birthday. Uh, my thanks to your lovely wife, Karen, for all that she's done over the years in setting up these interviews. Uh, we always appreciate your time, and hopefully we get some basketball. And uh, thank you, Jerry. Dan, always great to speak to you. And uh, we need some, we need something. It's, it's time in the world, that's for sure. That's uh, the great Jerry West, Hall of Famer, turning 82 today and celebrating his wedding anniversary as well. We're back after this in the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. Last call for phone calls, what we learn, what's in store tomorrow, all of that coming up. Jerry West's birthday. I believe it's John Fogarty's birthday. I think John is 75. Maybe you guys could check that. John Fogarty, icon. Still love listening. That voice, that guitar, John Fogarty, Creedence Clearwater Revival, I think. is it, Today is 75th birthday there, McLevin. Yep. All right. Yeah, see yes, indeed. Uh, quick shout out, Seal Gosford, my grandmother, 94 today. Booyah. Yep. Well, happy birthday there. Anybody else that this day in sports history, any other birthdays in there, Paulie, that I need to be aware of? Famous birthdays, May 28th. Mm. I think we got most of them. We got Jerry. We got John. We got Seal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> She's a big fan. How is she going to celebrate today? Uh, probably a little online poker. Okay. Uh, and uh, I don't know, maybe a trip to church. I'm not really sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. Can you go to church? Uh, I don't know, actually. They're not going to keep Seal out at 94 if she comes there. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I haven't been to church in a while. They're, the local church by me is having a, a drive-in. Like uh, the, he, the uh, priest is going to be up there on like a little podium, like a flatbed. I'm old enough to remember going to drive-ins. I don't know if you guys did, but drive-ins were a big deal when I was in high school. I was up in Rhode Island last week, and there was a drive-in, and they were showing Jaws on a big screen, Ooh, and they were sold out. Ooh. Couldn't get a ticket. Ooh. Yeah, so you, you guys want to open a drive-in? 
Uh, mm. Two months ago, I would have. For three months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, don't, I don't know if I want to do it now, but... I think it's going to be long-term impact. And so it's, here that it, we can... it's a it's a big piece of property that you need for your drive-in. Yeah, yeah. Let's open it. I did, love the drive-in. Did you ever have a date at the drive-in? Yes, I did. How, that worked out all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was the closest thing to privacy back in the days, probably. Yeah, it was. But see, you know, I had six brothers and sisters, so we they, we had one car, and I never got the car. I was 18 when I got my license because I'm like, why do I get my license? I can't drive any car. There's no car. My mom with six kids didn't have a car at home because my dad would take it to work. Yeah, see. You know how there's like that kind of dumb thing that like Netflix and chill is code for like, you want to come over and hook up? Oh, wait a minute. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's like, that's like a code. I think most people get that wrong, but it's like a, it, the real sub meaning is like, well, wait a minute. You want to come over, over and, and watch Netflix and chill? Netflix and chill is like code word for like, Hooking come over up. and let's hook up was, Hey, do you want to go to the drive-in? Was that the same thing? Uh, like if you're going to the drive-in on a date, it's on, right? <laughs> Make out sesh. Make out sesh. Probably like we would, if you went up to the concession stands, you could see like steamed yeah. windows. <laughs> I mean, <Yeah. laughs> be like, uh, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what's, what's going on in there? Yeah, Paul. I felt like a loser many, many times in my life, but one time, I think I was a <laughs> junior in high school, me and three buddies went to the drive-in. <laughs> and again, this is the end of the drive-in era. It wasn't that popular anymore, but I was in high school. We all went to the drive-in and all our other friends were with their girlfriends and their nice cars. We would actually... You know, you would always sneak somebody in in the trunk, usually. Let's say he didn't have to pay. Yeah. <laughs> it was so bad. And, you you know, we'd throw like a guy, Jim Asher, in the in the trunk and poor Jim would be like, there. You, are we there? And we would we would stop and then we wouldn't tell him we were at the, the, the theater. Ash the drive-in theater. And he'd be in the trunk for a little while longer. Hey, shh, dude, shut up. We're going to get caught. Shh. <laughs> yeah, yes, Todd. <laughs> Any tinted windows back then or you're just on full display unless it's uh, steamy for anyone to just walk by and see what's going on? No tint. No, it was just... You know, there was professional courtesy there. <laughs> Drive-in courtesy was what it was. Jim in Oklahoma joins us. Hi, Jim. What do you have for me today? Hey, finally made the show. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. Hey, but the Tyson fight, I would pay for that. But the reason I'm calling, how in the world did you get hooked up with Sandler? Uh, never heard. And by the way, you have one of the best lines in the Ridiculous Six. I don't know if I can... Cite that line on the air, but best line in the whole entire movie was yours, is Abe Lincoln. I don't think you need to. Uh, we could say that, Jim, but thank you. Uh, the only I, I've known Sandler for twenty five years, I think, and I, I he wasn't putting me in a movie. I wasn't asking to be in a movie, but I knew that he was going to do a movie called Waterboy, and he wanted to cash in on ESPN's popularity, Sports Centers. And uh, he used me on that as one of the broadcasters, one of the sportscasters on there. I think he used some other people. I think Jim Rome is in that movie. Peter King is in that movie. But, you know, they want some, wanted some authenticity. And Sandler just said, whatever lines you want, say whatever you want. But, you know, this is the scene and these are the highlights there. So he let me do basically a highlight via Sports Center, And uh, and then I was at a Knicks game. 
and I went out into like the bowels of the stadium, Madison Square Garden, and Sandler was out there by himself. And I just walked up to him. I said, hey, Sandman. And then he looked up and he goes, Danny P, your boy, he bleeped me. And I go, what? He goes, your boy, Oberman, he bleeped me. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, he was supposed to show up for Happy Gilmore and he couldn't fly. And we had to get uh, Vern Lundquist in there and, and whatever. And I said, look, if you ever need somebody, you let me know. I'm going to be there for you. And uh, he goes, all right, you're Danny McBleepin' Patrick, and you're going to be a police officer in my next movie, and you're going to wear a mustache. I didn't think anything of it. I just laughed, and I left. Well, we did The Longest Yard, and I'm there in one of the early scenes as a police officer with a mustache as I arrest Sandler. And after that, he would just write in parts for me. He would just say, Danny, got a part for you. And then he would tell me what it was. And then he would send me the script, tell me when to show up. And that was it. And I think it's been 17 movies. He even put me in as a police officer with Anna Ferris. House Bunny. And uh, I was a police officer in House Bunny. See, I like that one. That was a good little, uh, good, good scene there. I didn't know all the stars who were in it because I'm only there for one day. Actually, I was there for a night because my scene was in the evening. But I think you had a couple of, you know, big time uh, stars. Who was it? Uh, uh, who was the star of the uh, Easy A? Oh, Emma Stone. Emma Stone. I think Emma Stone is in there in the sorority. But I had no idea. Anna Ferris was very talented. She had no idea who I was as per usual with most of the women. I like when he, you know, I meet uh, Aniston on a movie set, and he goes, uh, Danny, you know Aniston? I have no idea who Jennifer Aniston is. And then I know who she is, and then uh, you know he goes, uh, uh, Danny's the sports guy. So I was the sports guy the whole week when I was in uh, Hawaii with Aniston. Uh, this day in sports history. Tough one, Dan. The NL owners allowed the Brooklyn Dodgers to move to Los Angeles and the New York Giants to move to San Francisco. Ouch. Can you imagine... If we were on air that day, like if there was sports radio that day, mm. damn. You can imagine if they were still in New York. What we learned, what we learned brought to you by Traeger. Join the Traegerhood. Wood, fire, difference. You're going to find it. TraegerGirls.com slash DP show. I think we're having mahi, mahi, not just mm. mahi, mahi, mahi tomorrow <laughs> on the Traeger Girl on our meet Friday. <laughs> mahi. Nobody has just Mahi. It's just, it's Mahi Mike. All right, thanks for joining us. Talk to you tomorrow.